Welcome to episode 160, 160 of the God Stuff Podcast. This is where we go bigger, better, and deeper, bigger impact for Christ and the gospel, a better understanding of scripture and how to use it, and a deeper walk with God. Today we're going deeper, and I want to talk about the gospel of grace. Actually, the title of the podcast is Doc's Gospel of Grace, and I call it Doc's Gospel of Grace. I know it's God's Gospel of Grace. I know it's Christ's Gospel of Grace, but I'll share an article with you written by the the wonderful, late, great Lance B. Latham, L-A-T-H-A-M. Lance Latham was one of my mentors and his nickname was Doc. We called him Doc. Everybody who knew him called him Doc Latham, Lance Latham. He was a pastor. He was a musician. He was a worship leader. He was an evangelist. He was a Bible teacher and he founded the Iwana Youth Association. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I hope you enjoy this episode of God Stuff. Head over to veritasschool.life and go get the word of God into you and grow bigger, better, and deeper and become a champion of grace and truth here in our culture of confusion and pain. Okay, so here we go. Welcome to the God Stuff Podcast with Bill Giovanetti, the home of grace-powered living. Because grace isn't an app, it's an operating system. Here's Bill. So Doc's Gospel of Grace, if you see over my shoulder, if you're watching on YouTube, I have a, a lit up sign in the back. It's a little fuzzy because of the F-stop on the camera, but it says grace. And grace is my theme. Grace is the main thing. I would say that grace is the common substance of what we're to teach and communicate as pastors, leaders, Christians. This is the gospel. And one of the most influential people in teaching me the gospel was Lance Latham, Lance Beatham, who was the founder of the Iwana Youth Association and the founding pastor of the Northside Gospel Center. But before that, he was the music pastor and the kids director for Paul Rader. And Paul Rader was a massive evangelist, the Graham of his day in the roaring 20s, the 1920s. And he founded the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle. And it's a Chicago Gospel Tabernacle. The, it started as a tent and uh, it had a steel frame. This was down by Wrigley Field in Chicago. It started as a tent with a steel frame. Later on, that was converted to a wooden building. It seated 5,000 people and it was packed six days a week. They had services, evangelistic services, six days a week. And the music was run by the young, athletic, piano virtuoso Lance Latham. And everybody called him Doc. Uh, he had an, a Doctor of Letters degree. And here's a book about him. It's called Lance, A Testament of Grace, written by Dave Brees, B-R-E-E-S-E. Yeah, there it is. Came into focus for you. And that's Doc right there. I knew him growing up from a little boy going to Camp Awana. And then when I became a pastor, I worked with him. I'm going to show you another picture. So this is Doc up at uh, camp in Wisconsin called Camp Awana. And he's sitting on a log. I know right where he's sitting. As a little boy, I roamed those grounds from the time I was eight till the time I was 14 every year. And then when I became 16, I became a leader up at Camp Awana. Camp Awana is no more, tragically. There's a whole other story that we can talk about someday if we want to get depressed. But Lance was super influential in my life. I consider him one of my mentors when I became a youth pastor at Outside Gospel Center. He was still there. He was semi-retired. He still helped run the camp, but he would come in every day and have office hours and we'd get to chat. 
and he influenced me greatly. He influenced me through preaching. Vern Benner had Doc come and always speak to the Iwana camp leaders. And that was just a treat to hear him on that pulpit and talk about the cross. It was the cross. It was Christ. It was the cross. And that was really meaningful to me. That, that planted seeds in my heart that are still bearing fruit today. So very grateful for Lance Latham. And what I want to do today uh, should I say in a little, let me say a little bit more about this guy. There, you can probably see that if you're watching online on the YouTube channel. So uh, let's look at this. This is the Wikipedia article. It's a brief biography of Lance Latham. Lance Brenton, late 1894 to 1985, was a prominent preacher, evangelist, youth minister, and musician in the to mid 20th century in Chicago, Illinois. He was known to many familiar with his ministry as Doc. His wife, Virginia, was known as Teach, which is kind of cool for nicknames, Doc and Teach. But seriously, we called Teach. We called him Doc. Latham was a child prodigy, able to recite the entire Westminster Shorter Catechism by age seven. It's about 30 pages. <laughs> he was the pianist for the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle under evangelist Paul Rader. While there, Latham organized a children's ministry called the White Shirt Brigades. Through his ministry, Latham developed the principles that eventually lead to the launching of Awana. And Awana now is a worldwide children's organization to train, to reach boys and girls with the gospel of Christ and train them to serve him. Latham's ministry had a global impact. He founded the Iwana Youth Association, who quickly expanded to tens of thousands of clubs every continent. Through Latham's leadership, hundreds of thousands of boys and girls in thousands of churches have engaged in Bible memory activities and evangelism. Latham also founded Camp Iwana, a pioneer in camping. Thousands of young people experienced conversions to Christ through Latham's teaching at Camp Iwana, including notables such as Bill Hybels, founding pastor, of Willow Creek Community Church. Latham was the founding pastor of the Northside Gospel Center, a church in Chicago. Latham's influence spread throughout the Midwest and around the country. One of the highlights of Latham's ministry was an annual four-piano concert. Latham, a concert-caliber pianist, arranged music for the four Steinway Grand Pianos and led an evening of inspiration music for tens of thousands. Latham also composed numerous hymns and choruses, most notably Only Jesus and Blessed Calvary. He also authored the two Gospels. All right, so that's a little uh, bio of Lance Latham. And what I want to do today is actually share something he wrote from that book, The Two Gospels. Wait, when he was seven, he could recite the whole book of Romans. He memorized the book of James, the book of Matthew. He was just really big Bible memory. And so when the Iwana Youth Association was founded and the Iwana Club started up at the church where I was a youth pastor, actually, I came in and worked to help Iwana Clubs. By then, the Iwana ministry was already, you know, national. That was in 1979. But Bible memory was a big thing. I mean, I grew up going to Pals and Pioneers, which were Iwana Clubs. And the thing you did, it was like Boy Scouts, but instead of outdoor uh, adventures, you memorize Bible verses. And that's the Bible verses I know today I memorized when I was a kid in Iwana. So I'm very grateful. And then it was some to actually get to work with Doc Latham. So I want to share with you, I'm going to put this on the screen too, something he wrote about the gospel of grace. And that's why this podcast today is called Doc's Gospel of Grace. And there's an article that is taken from the book, The Two Gospels, written by Lance Latham. I'm going to read it. And this is in, this is uh, on the website, faithalone.org. And you can search for Latham, L-A-T-H-A-M. But here is the journal article from the Journal of the Grace Evangelical Society. A voice from the past discussing the gospel, Lance B. Latham, Doc Latham. So now I'm quoting Doc Latham's article. There is something within the heart of a man which 
constantly presses to make a perverse addition to the sole basis of our salvation, the work of Christ on us. Constantly pressed by the sin of pride, the mind of the natural man is ever reluctant to admit to a sinful, helpless condition. Many who understand the gospel refuse to come to Christ because they will not admit they lack a shred of goodness, righteousness, or desirability within themselves that God can accept. Making this a little bigger. Religious leaders try to add baptism, church membership, faithful living, personal sacrifice, or some other human work to the work of Christ to the hope of salvation for the believer. Such philosophies may have filled the coffers of religion, but have confused the issue of salvation and thus damaged countless souls. This is Lance Latham writing. One who discovers the gospel will instantly realize that the sole basis of his salvation is the work of Christ on Calvary's cross. Saving faith depends alone on the value of Calvary. All other possible sources for the assurance of salvation are counterfeit. Saku, invitations to the unsaved. The gospel is the good news. It is not a set of obligations or duties to be performed, new strivings, more agonizings, but rather an announcement of what has been done for us. We do not present the claims of the gospel. We present a wonderful free offer of God himself to the sinner who believes. 2 Corinthians 5.18, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. We find the fearful need for salvation in Romans 1.18 through 3.20. The Lord came not to call the righteous, but sinners. For unless the person seeking salvation realizes his desperate need, he will not flee for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, Hebrews 6.18. Then there follows the need for a, a scriptural invitation. A great passage in Romans 3.18 through 4.8 has often been called the core of Romans and of the entire Bible. This is the one place in the Bible where the way of justification is set forth and explained. It is defended in Galatians. So, footnote, Doc is saying that the way of salvation is set forth in Romans and ended in Galatians. And there are many instances of salvation in the Gospels and the book of Acts. Let us closely look at a few of the invitations Listed at the beginning of this chapter. Okay, so now we're going to have one, two, three, four, five, five invitations to receive Jesus. He's talking about verbiage, way to talk, being saved. And of the five, he is saying that the first four are incorrect. Don't use these. I'm going to go through these. And I want to tell you that when I was at Northside Gospel Center, there was, they had a film, I mean, on the two big reels that Iwana put out that was shown to every Iwana leader across the country that went over these four incorrect ways of presenting the gospel to children or to anybody. And then the final one is the correct way. Number five. So this is really a passion of Lance Latham and then of his uh, sidekick, Art Rohrheim. I, I don't know if that's right to call him that, but co-leader Art Rohrheim, who ran Awana, that the leaders of Awana, when presenting the gospel to kids, would make sure it was the gospel of grace and not some legalistic twist on the gospel, right? So here, uh, I'm going to go back to the article now where Doc Latham is writing to say how not to present the gospel. And I'm going to step on toes here, but that's okay. But I'm just quoting someone else, you know, Doc Latham heaven now. He, I remember once when he turned 88, he said, I've lived as many years as there are keys on the piano. 
which is perfect because he was a pianist. There's 88 keys on the piano. Anyway, how not to put the gospel? A, give your heart to Christ. As William Reed so well says in his book, The Blood of Jesus, give your heart to Jesus is law rather than gospel. Salvation is not my gift to God, but his gift to me. This also applies to invitations such as give your life to God, give your heart to Christ, surrender all, put your all on the altar, and ask Jesus to come into your heart. Pause. He's saying don't use any of that language when sharing the gospel and especially with kids. Let me go over it again. So the main section here is called Give Your Heart to Christ. He says that's legalism. That's all. That's not grace. This also applies to invitations such as give your life to God, give your heart to Christ, surrender all, put your all on the altar, ask Jesus to come to your heart. Well, those first ones, this is me again, I'm interjecting. That's works. You give your life to Christ? No. He gave his life for you and gives his life to you. You give your heart to Christ? No. You are not the giver in the equation of salvation. You are the receiver. Surrender all? No, he surrendered when he died on the cross. We always have to go back to the cross as the basis of salvation. What scripture, I'm back to the article now, on what scripture does this invitation rest? We find in Proverbs 23, 26, My son, give me thine heart. Surely there is no justification for an invitation so generally given in this one verse. It is addressed to my son, an already established relationship with no reliance on Calvary. He's saying there's no scriptural basis to give your heart to Christ as a directive to an unbeliever to be saved. So A, give your heart to Christ. That's out of bounds. B, forsaking all your sins. This means that the sinner must promise to live perfectly from now on. I read in Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Doc writes, God accepts us as godly as we are when as sinners we trust in him and his redeeming work on Calvary. Then, once we are justified, he shall save his people from their sins, out from their sins. You can't forsake your sins to get saved. You can only forsake your sins after you're saved. So let's not say that either. See, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, this is called the sinner's prayer that's in the Bible, but Doc is ruling it out of bounds. Here's what he says. This is commonly used in rescue missions, and doubtless God saves many in spite of such an incomplete invitation. And do you notice what is usually added? And save me for Jesus' sake. We quote the faithful note in the Schofield Bible regarding Luke 18.13. So Luke 18.13 has the phrase, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The publican is uh, is uh, praying this, beating his chest, feels guilty. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the note in the Schofield Bible, which Doc was a big fan of the Schofield Bible. I still am, though I'm not dispensational like that, like I used to be. But uh, quoting the note from the Schofield Bible in Doc's article, Greek hilaskomai used in the Septuagint and New Testament in connection with the mercy seat. As an instructed Jew, the publican is thinking not of mere mercy, but of the blood-sprinkled mercy seat. His prayer might be paraphrased, be toward me as thou art when thou lookest upon the atoning blood. The Bible knows nothing of divine forgiveness apart from sacrifice. So what's the problem with saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner? Problem is that this phrase, like so many others, lets you omit the shed blood of Christ. It lets you omit the saving work of Christ on the cross when Jesus died for our sins. So you can tell someone to say, God be merciful to me, a sinner, but you're not exactly quoting scripture. It says, God be mercy seated. Mercy seated is not the normal word for mercy. The normal word for mercy is L-A-O-S, E-L-E-O-S. 
But in Luke 18, 13, where this comes from, the word is hilaskomai. Hilaskomai is the cover on the Ark of the Covenant. It's called the mercy seat. And it's a symbol of rich theological doctrine that centers on the sprinkled blood of Christ, the blood of Christ interposed between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humankind. So to say merciful in that verse is to say so much more than, hey, God, be nice to me, sinner. It's to point to the sacrifice of Christ and say, on the basis of that sacrifice, be merciful to me. And that's what Doc is arguing. He's saying, when you just lead people in a simple prayer and miss of, hey, be merciful, and miss the atoning work of Christ on Christ's cross, you're not giving them a complete gospel. So he rules that out too. So out of bounds, A, give your heart to Christ. Ask Jesus in your heart. Give your life to Christ, all that. Surrender all. B, forsake all your sins. It's impossible. You can't forsake your sins till after you're saved. C, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It's good, but it's not enough. D, surrender all. William R. Newell, a boy, I'm, footnote, if you can find any verse-by-verse coveries by William R. Newell, pick them up. William R. Newell, Romans verse-by-verse, Hebrews verse-by-verse, Revelation verse-by-verse. He was an amazing Bible teacher. He had Bible classes in Toronto, Chicago, and Detroit, and he flew that triangle teaching the Word of God. This guy's an amazing Bible teacher. His commentaries are excellent. Back to Doc's article. Surrender all. William R. Newell teaches us, quote, to preach full surrender to an unsaved man as the way of salvation will just make a hateful Pharisee out of him, period. That's so good. It's not you surrendering, it's you believing. It's not you surrendering, I give you all, I give you my life, I give you, no, it's you trusting. Christ surrendered is on the cross. Let's keep the emphasis there. Doc Latham continues, and from Dr. Ironside's tract, another gospel. Let me pause. Harry Ironside was the great, great longtime pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. Wonderful teacher. Again, if you can get any books by Harry Ironside, get them. I have over my shoulder 15 commentaries by Ironside on different books of the Bible. They'll be the best commentaries you pick up. William R. Newell, Harry Ironside, those old guys, man, you will not find better commentaries written in the last 100 years. So back to the article. And from Dr. Ironside's tract, another gospel, quote, when anyone comes promising salvation to those who make full surrender of all that they have to God and who pay the price of full salvation, he is preaching another gospel, meaning a false gospel, for the price was paid on Calvary's cross and the work that saves is finished. It was Christ Jesus who made the full surrender when he yielded his life on Calvary that saves us, not our surrender to him in any way. Okay, that's Harry Ironside quoted by Doc Latham. The great conclusion of Romans 3, 19-28 is, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, apart from our living. The matter of my continuing sin not brought up until Romans 6, after the matter of justification is well settled. I am justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, as stated in Romans 3.25, through faith in his blood, through faith in his blood. I was talking to a young adult in our church uh, this past day. He asked a great question, really sharp guy, incredible young man, and he's waiting to someone in his life. She's got a sin. She's got an ongoing sin in her life, and I'm not going to name the sin here because it could be any sin, but let's just say 
Let's just call this person sinner. She's got these sins in her life, this package of moral broken and moral licentiousness and out of boundsness, right? And he asked me, what do I say to her? How do I address this sin even as I share the gospel with her? And my answer was, tell her, look, if you're going to be committer of sin X, be a saved committer of sin X. And I know, and you can put in anything there, any blank, be a saved adulterer, be a saved fornicator, be a saved embezzler. And I know, I know, all the lists are mad right now. Go ahead. You can email me, Lance Latham at gmail.com. Email me. You are saved while a sinner. If you're going to be sinner X, be a saved sinner X. And then through sanctification, God will deliver you from that, whatever sin X is. So we never confuse salvation and sanctification. We never confuse faith and works. Okay, so Doc has ruled four sets of four Christian cliches out of bounds. Give your heart to Christ, forsaking all your sins. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and surrender all. And now here's five. Well, oh, now he's going to modify this one. Believe in Jesus. Okay, step on toes time here. Doc writes, ask any Roman Catholic, do you believe in Jesus? And he will answer, of course. Is this man therefore saved? Okay, let me pause here. I actually had this conversation with Latham because Chicago is heavily Catholic. And I love my Catholic friends. And I would say to you, if you're going to be Catholic, be a saved Catholic. If you're going to be a Baptist, be a saved Baptist, whatever, be saved. But most Catholics are not saved. Many Baptists are not saved. But they all believe in Jesus. And I was confused because I know that believing in Jesus is the way of salvation. But I asked Doc, remember once we were in the basement of the church and he was in the copy room, which is right next to my office. And he running something off back in the days, Mimeo, the mimeograph machine. Super cool. Anyway, Doc was in there and we were chatting and I said, Doc, I don't get it. I know all these people say they believe in Jesus, but I know they're not saved. They're going to heaven in their minds because they were baptized or because they're moral and decent. They're saved. In their minds are saved by works or by some ritual of the church. They were a confirmation, confession, communion, penance, last rites and all that. They're not even confident, but they believe in Jesus. I don't get it. And Doc said to me, Bill, the question is, where is their hope for eternity? And boom, man, that just turned on the lights for me. Where is their hope for eternity? What are you counting on to get you to heaven? Is it Jesus Christ crucified and risen again? Then you believe in Jesus. Is it your baptism, confirmation, confession, communion, or good works? Then you don't believe in Jesus, no matter how much you say you do believe in Jesus. You believe that Jesus existed. You believe that Jesus did certain things, but you've never put your faith in him. You've never put your trust in him alone as your only hope. Where is your hope for eternity? What are you counting on? That's why the great D. James Kennedy, when he came up with this incredible evangelism program called Evangelism Explosion, he had these, what do you call them, diagnostic questions. I think they're brilliant questions. Well, the first one is, if you were di- to today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And a lot of churches today, I know they're saying people aren't interested in heaven. Yes, they are. People aren't afraid of dying. Yes, they are. That's an issue. The second diagnostic question from D. James Kennedy was, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell him? Well, that's a great question. Immediately, what's going to come out their mouth? What's going to come up their mouth is, where is their hope for eternity? They're going to say, well, I've been a good person and I've never killed anyone. Okay. Where's their hope for eternity? Their good works. You're going to say, well, I've been baptized. Okay. Well, where is their hope for eternity? It's in their baptism. Why should I let you into heaven? Well, because I killed anyone. Okay. Again, this is so clarifying. So when Doc says, believe in Jesus, he's saying it's an insufficient 
directive. Believe in Jesus for what? Believe in Jesus as what? He wants you to depend on Jesus Christ and him alone, crucified and risen again as your only hope for the forgiveness of sins and for eternal life. Now you've got the complete gospel package. So let me go back to Doc. E, believe in Jesus. This one's the world out of bounds. Ask any Roman Catholic, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And he will answer, of course. Is this man there saved? The real question is, where is your hope? Are you depending upon Christ and what he has done at Calvary alone? Or is your hope in penances performed, masses, baptism, and so forth? This is not faith in Christ and his work. This is faith in your own works, faithfulness to the church, and therefore cannot save. Hebrews 6.18 describes people with saving faith as those who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. The climactic exhortation in Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice is addressed to believers. That's addressed to those who are already saved. The basis for that appeal is the mercies of God, the wonderful lessons we have in Christ presented in the previous chapters of Romans. Having this applied to unbelievers getting saved robs God of the great victory of grace and grace alone can win. Okay, so, wow, he's saying believe in Jesus is not an adequate explanation of the gospel, and it's not. You've got to tie Jesus the person with Jesus the work and the work of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 13 is Christ died for our sins. And faith in him means trusting in him, fighting in him, trusting in him is your only hope. What he did when he died on the cross for our, our sins. Okay, one more. I think I said I, there were five. Here's the sixth one. Make Jesus your Lord. This is just another variation of the surrender all in patience. Surely we must recognize who he is or we, we will die in our sins. Okay, fact. Jesus is Lord. And by Lord, most of the time the Bible means deity. But when you say that, Lord means master, and people think, okay, therefore I must obey. Well, that's not the gospel. This is just another variation of the surrender all invitation. Surely we must recognize who he is, or we will die in our sins, John 8, 24. But this is vastly different from making him your Lord in your life. In other words, promising to obey the rest of your life. This is preaching works. Amen, Doc. His mercies with all his graciousness to us will lead us to making him Lord and that out of that heart of love and appreciation of him. We feel that those who propose this way of salvation change the obvious meaning of Romans 10.9 to justify this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This cannot be made to say, make Jesus Lord of your life. It says Doc, and here's the thing. You receive Jesus as Savior, which now activates all your human potentialities by grace to then begin to increasingly obey him as Lord. That's the only way. But you can't reverse that. You can't put the cart before the horse on that. So there we go. Lance B. Latham, uh, one of my heroes. Here's a great picture. Let me unshare this. Again. Lance and Virginia Latham. Doc Teach. It even says on the uh, the captions, Doc and Teach. That's how we knew him. They're toddling around the church and toddling around Campoana. And um, super exciting to, that I know them and um, very blessed to have known Lance Latham. And so there's a blast from the past, the principle of grace, according to Lance B. Latham. And I would say a hearty amen to all of it. Thanks for listening to the God Stuff Podcast. Find out more at GodStuff.tv.